Keeping it real on cliffcentral.com. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff. Cliffcentral.com. It's four minutes past 12 and you're listening to Womanla. I'm Pumi Mashekho and as we do every Wednesday, we're all up in your face. We're having those conversations that, that talk to the heart of every woman. And I think one of the things that in the past couple of weeks, I've been seeing so much, so much, so much stuff. I've been seeing so much stuff. The Sowetan was running a huge thing around Nyawope and how it's taking over the townships. Um, I saw a book that's recently come out called Chasing the Scream. And what was fascinating for me about that book is that it actually talks about how it's been a hundred years since the first, um, delegalization, as it were, of drugs. So drug abuse is a big thing. Everybody talks about drug abuse. Everybody talks about combating drug abuse. And I think it's one of those things that in our country we're all struggling with right now. And we're all trying to grapple it. But the conversations we're having are conversations around how to stop our young people. I think every mother, every sister, every wife um, probably has the same kind of fear when it comes to what happens with drug abuse, how to keep my kids off drugs. What would I do if I ever found myself in that situation? So I asked a friend of mine to come and join me in the studio today. His name is Gordon John, and he I've known him since I was 10. I was just telling Duncan. And, and in the past couple of years has led a very vocal and very interesting life around drugs, illegal drugs. So I've asked him to keep names out, but he's going to share his experience with us. He's going to talk to us about what the experience for him has been like being a person living on drugs, with drugs, spending all his money and, and, and. It's six minutes past 12. If you want to chat with us, if you want to share your experience with us, if you want to talk to us about what you know, what you think, if you have a question, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever had a burning question and you want to ask somebody who's chosen a life with drugs, this is your moment. It's a candid conversation, candid conversation about drugs. It's a candid conversation about the life behind the curtain. It's a candid conversation about whether you can get out, if ever. And you can call us in the studio on 0861-555-189. I've now got that name happening in my in my mind it's taken me a while but duncan has a very proud look on his face because i remembered the name the number but you can also chat with us tweet us um on we chat us directly message us directly into the studio you know our handles by now at cliffcentral.com at pumimashekho01 do you have a twitter handle no Twitter handle. He's also not young like that, but he's on Facebook. Gordon John, welcome to the show. Hi, Pumi. How are you? And thank you for agreeing. So this is the thing about, and I'm, this is the thing about talking to the mic. You have to come close okay, up to sorry. the mic like you were giving a blowjob. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> speak okay. up. But mm. how did you get started? How, who introduced you to drugs and why did you, why were you not scared? Um, as you said earlier, we're not going to use names, but a very good friend of mine um, and his friends at the time, many years ago, would invite me to their parties or to their events and functions at their homes. And I would always wonder why they would go in groups, like groups of two or three to the bathroom. And why I'm, I'm always the first person drunk and the first person that says to go home <laughs> and everybody else is drinking the same as me. Firstly, I'm not a drinker. So alcohol and cigarettes, as you know, when we were at school together, was never something that, that, that tickled my fancy. 
my mom and dad were smokers and I just hated the smell and the thought and the sight of a cigarette, even the fact that you waste so much money on it, inhaling and exhaling. I mean, you can do that without the poison. And I was, I kept asking them, what are you guys doing? Why do you keep going, you know, together to the bathroom? Why don't you guys get drunk? It's just me. And at the time, those friends and the people that I was uh, socializing with were taking cocaine without me knowing. And one night, um, after a few months of keep asking, like, what are you guys doing? I was alone with one of my close friends and he said to me, do you want to try? Let me give you some. So I thought to myself, well, I've got a strong mind. Um, I'm sure I've tried alcohol. I've tried a cigarette here and there. I'm sure this thing couldn't be as uh, any worse than what they are. And I snorted my first line of cocaine. Strangely enough, the glass on his coffee table that I had my first line of cocaine on was a piece of glass that I had supplied him when they moved into their new house because the movers of the truck had dropped the table and broke the glass. So that is something that sticks so vividly in my mind. And up until today, I think he still has that same glass in his coffee table. He subsequently moved away from Johannesburg. I miss him dearly. But um, strangely, I think if I think about it when I was driving on my way here, you, the most important lesson that came out of that was my mom never liked that friend. And it's always the friends that make you make you feel fabulous and are, are so uh, exciting to be around. That, that, that for me was the trap. As you know, um, I've got good friends right through school. My best friend and I have been friends since I'm six. We're still friends today. She's, she's not a drinker. She's not a smoker. She hates drugs. She's never taken it. So, yeah. So, so then... You try out this cocaine, you have your first hit, and it is oh, um, wonderful, awesome. What did that feel like? If you can picture what a sh- what a shuttlecraft looks like when it's taking off from from um, from Earth, when it's going into space, that is uh, an image that I have in my mind of that first feeling. Because cocaine, cocaine is for me. It was a drug that, that, that completely overtook my, overtook me. It was, it took over my life. It took over my mind, my feelings, what I felt. It's, it's an, it's a numbing sensation. It's almost like you get, ex, you get, um, exploded into the atmosphere and it, it's like nothing you can do about it. You're floating in, in, above the earth. So. So what made you go back? Um, Going back, I don't think you ever leave it. Once you take your first hit or your first line, there isn't going back. You, you are in it. And like, like we were speaking, uh, uh, friends of mine and we we're talking about the choices that you make. You either choose to stay in that, at, in that, um, non-gravitational atmosphere or you, you choose to go and have another one and keep, keep yourself floating above the earth, so to speak. So, um, yeah. Did you, did you get into drugs? Sure, because your friends were doing it. But do, do you, when you look back now, feel like you were trying to escape no. something? I wanted to f- experience what it is that they were doing. And, and so you were just judging I, I, I was actually forward <laughs> and wanting to know something that I didn't have to know because, it, it to be quite honest, it took more from my life than added any value. What, um, did, what did it take from your life? It took my uh, – the best way I can describe to you is, and I show a lot of people this, I put a key or my cell phone at the edge of a table. And I describe that is where I was at the time I asked for that first 
or was offered that first um, experience. And I pushed the set of keys or the phone off the table and that, that immediate hit or that smashing of that key or the phone on the floor was what happens when you have your first line. It's like your life, the trajectory of your life completely changes from what you planned in high school or what you studied in university or where you, your career path is going. It completely erases that from your, from your mind. It's almost like you have no direction and that drug is your director. So it will, it will direct what you choose and to take when you choose to take it and with who and where you want to take it. It's almost like that becomes your, your world and you don't realize it. And this is the trap that I find a lot of people are in at the moment that I work with, especially people that I used to take with because I've chosen recently over the past few years not to be directed by drugs anymore. And yeah, but you haven't stopped. I haven't stopped. No. And I firmly believe that people who are not taking or have never taken cannot tell somebody who who is taking how to stop or what they're going through. Because until you go through it yourself, you cannot tell somebody what they're going through. And so do you do you feel like a big chunk of your life is gone? I've wasted 15 years of my life without knowing. Time has passed by so quickly. Money I've wasted on people that I thought were friends, you know, people that just hang around you because I, I had a reputation of when Gordon John is there, drugs is there because I always used to buy my own and a lot of it. I mean, I never used all of it because even till now, I'm not a person that finishes it. If I'll buy a gram, I'll probably use one or two and throw it away because I got my joy out of it. You understand what I'm throw saying? I don't. It away. Yes. Um, how expensive have uh, you have you ever sat down and calculated no, how I much haven't. money you? No, I haven't. I think similarly, I've wasted <laughs> as much money on 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 fragrances, on on CDs, on clothes. So for me, it was something that I I had I could afford at the time. I didn't feel bad buying it. You see, the with me is. I, I'm so glad that my mom raised me that my priorities were always had to be in the right place. There were always certain things that needed to be paid for first. Then once all of those things are done, whatever you have left, if you could afford to, then you go out and you buy whatever you need to, even with music, with, with, with fragrances. So for me, it was just my mindset and I was fortunate to be raised that way that, but I'm not, I'm not going to say that all the time I was like that. I had those odd months here and there where I would, not pay my car for three months and not realize that so much time has passed by and think, okay, I'll pay double next month because I, I went out to a certain uh, party or a certain club opening or event and I never catch up. And then you look again, it's the third month and then the bank starts phoning for to come and repossess the vehicle. And then there's nothing you can do because for those two, three months, you're living in a euphoric type of bubble, the world in a fake sense of reality that you can catch up, you can catch up and you just don't. So euphoria so. Is, is like... A great word because I was, I, I want to know, was it fun? I must say, I don't, I have, I can count on maybe one hand the times it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. Because of so the all people. the other time it was fun. It's always, for me, I always make sure it's fun because I pay a lot of money for it. I, I take time out of time you cannot get back out of my life. And also the, rec- what, what people don't realize is the recovery time, you know, when, when the, when the withdrawal symptoms start or when you stop taking, because Monday's work, you need to start recovering. You need to start washing yourself, eating properly, making yourself look presentable because Monday's around the corner. That for me, the older I got, that period of time started becoming longer. And that is what I didn't tolerate because for me, my career and my job is very important to sustain my mom and my lifestyle. So I just cut those people and friends and influences out who would not uh, um, 
uh, allow me to want to have over weekends. So I would visit those friends maybe on a Thursday and Friday, Saturday and Sunday I spend at home with, with my family. So you've had to remove, what made you decide to, to cut back on, on the drugs? What made you decide, okay, now I'm only going to have drugs on certain days or as and when? What is it that was the driver? Did anything happen? No. I think you, you need, I had a converse, a, a quiet time and a conversation with myself where I had to reflect back and ask myself, was all these years and rands that I've wasted and spent on these so-called friends really beneficial? What could I have done better with that money in the time? You know, when, when I, my mom and dad are now in their seventies, they're getting older. I've wasted so much time that I could have spent with them. I'm very blessed to still have both of them in my life. My sister's now married a year now and she's doing very well for herself. Most of my friends have kids. Um, they married, they have their own home, and I find myself with my, my, my mom alone in her house. I haven't got my own place, and I find that I've lost all of that time, and there's no, there's no way of getting that time back. So I either have to make a, a decision to stop or slow down very uh, significantly to catch up because time is not on my side anymore. And I suppose it's just a, it's a matter of, of maturity, realizing, you, I mean, you can't be 40 years old on a dance floor in the club dancing with 20-year-olds and, and think that you're cool because it's not. So I'm, at, at no stage am I promoting that the 15 years was cool or taking drugs at all is something good. I don't. I will not recommend that to anybody. And in my life, I've never, ever given somebody drugs for the first time if they've never had it before because I don't want to be responsible for wrecking somebody else's life as I for a while blamed the person who gave me. Did you? I did. I blamed him and up until Why? I think when I Why? forgiven you him. you asked him? And exactly. I, you know, it's easier to blame somebody else for something that you're going through because for, in that way, it's also, in, uh, it's also, ex- uh, you exempt yourself from the responsibility of what you're doing to yourself. A lot of people, there's a phrase that goes around the drug communities that they didn't put your head down to the mirror or they didn't force your nose on that CD cover with a straw in your nose. And that's, that's 100% true because at the end of the day, the choices that you make Every single minute of every single day of your life is, 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 is a result of where you are. So you cannot, and I think that if I think about it now, it's strange that you ask. When I forgiven him for what I thought was his fault was when I was able to stop because there was no, there was no crutch. It, I can't say it's Pumi's fault that I'm the year today or it's so and so's fault that I'm doing X. You have to realize and take responsibility for your action in that, in that crisis. Like in, in, like in a breakup of a relationship, you need to take responsibility for what you had to play in the breakdown of that, of that situation in order to come out of it. Like they say in rehab, until you know you have a problem, you won't, or admit you have a problem, then you will never be able to help anybody. Was it glamorous? So when you, I mean, when I think about drugs and I think about people that do drugs, I think they live such a glamorous life. They're in the clubs. They've, you know, cause mm. when I, w- the, the way that I see drugs is in movies, in, so you have some stuff that looks groggy, but mm. you know, when I look at you, you're nice and clean. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you smell nice. Thanks. You like the perfumes. Um, was it at all glamorous or was it groggy? Was it the other side of it? Was it because when I then read the Nyawupe stories and when I see people um, in in the townships and I think, ooh, this guy could be living mm. a better life. Yeah. Was it glamorous when you were in it? I, if I think back, 99% of the time, the the 
the experiences that I have were glamorous because it was either an after party of the gay pride or it was somebody's club launch or it was um, some South African celebrity or, or singer that was launching a CD at a club. So it was always something that I got dressed up for. I would go to YDE and get a shirt or get out of special jeans or get a new pair of sneakers and make sure like I get a new fragrance and that my cousin is or my cousins or whoever was with me, you know, my friends is going with me are dressed to the nines and that we, we're ready for the event. Um, it, so it was always something that I looked forward to doing and going out for. But, uh, the glamorous part of it, um, it would, it would end when you, when you come home and when you realize that, um, it's Sunday morning and you're still inebriated. Mondays, Mondays work. There were so many Mondays I didn't yes, get to work. Like, but you're I would inebriated. inebriated, yeah. Right. All right. So well, is that, <laughs> is that a fancy word that's for a fa- high? No, that's, that's a glamorous <laughs> word for, yeah. My friends and I, I, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine from Cape Town would, would, we're on our, on our way either to or coming home from a club where it's seen a, a dead cat that would just been um, driven over by a vehicle. And he would say that we looked, we, we felt like that cat looked and the word schmangled came from, from that. You know, a mangled, <laughs> a mangled cat, but because we were schnaffing, we were schmangled. So it was, it was something, it has, it's almost like you develop a, a language in this, in this, in this culture of drugs it, and it's to protect yourself from, from. So talking about the culture of drugs. Do you think that Did you ever have groggy moments Did you have ever When you look back now Did you think Oh I shouldn't have been there At that place oh, yes. In that car With those people That was so yucky yeah. mm, Did you I ever had, have moments like that You know what Just like Like drinking with certain people You will not open Your most expensive bottle of champagne For someone who's not on your Level class wise Because they'd <laughs> either be Sipping it out of a mug Or they'd be They'd be making piggy noises when they laugh. There's just, I got to a stage where there was only certain people that I would take with because it's such an expensive, um, um, habit and, and, and a bad habit as, as it, as I said earlier that you would want, would hate to want to waste because some, some people when they take it, they, they feel invincible or they want to start getting aggro or they want to speak about medicine just because they watch Grey's Anatomy doesn't mean that you're a doctor. So they want to diagnose you with something or they want to, my, uh, 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 uh Friends and cousins of mine that we, we call them oracles of knowledge. You know, we, we, we tease them because now you want to diagnose someone's rheumatoid arthritis or something just because you had a line or two of cocaine or crystal meth or cat or whatever. Now you think you know everything. So yeah, it, it, it was, it was, it was, it was, there were moments where you think, oh, I shouldn't have come to these people's house. I, you have a bad feeling and then, or somebody gets too drunk and they want to have some of your drugs to bring them out of the drunken stupor, but they're messy and they're spitting all over the show and they're sweaty and they're wet and it's just, it's just gross. So now you get those moments where you're like, this person doesn't smell very good and you're in their house and this, how do you get out of that? You know, what's your worst experience that you've ever had? On drugs That oh. kind of When you look back now Because I, I can imagine That when you're high And in the situation mm. It never looks as bad As it is yeah. But when you look back now That you look back And you think Yes like But I got off easy Out of that situation yeah. That could have been bad One Sunday night At 11 o'clock um, When I just came back From working in Nigeria I, I drove I was driving home After being Four days In Innerdale Around a guy That I was very Infatuated with That I thought I could win him over If I could buy him drugs And buy him a laptop And because I came back With a lot of money I worked for a, um, a South African company For a few months And having earned dollars When you come back To South Africa When they converted to Rands you, You're a rich kid So um, I, I, I found my, I was driving home And as I left um, The area One of the big drug dealers In Ennardale Was sitting in his White city golf With a girl 
and I stopped to say hi to him. And while we were chatting, his brother called to say that he'd just been rammed into by uh, a policeman, a drunk policeman in Lanasia somewhere. And so he asked me, do I have my driver's license with me in the car? So I said to him, yes, he said, follow me. I didn't know why he asked. And I followed him because I, I, I made a habit of getting to know the drug dealers properly. The drug dealers are the people who are responsible for giving you a chemical that you put into your body that you don't know where it comes from. So if they're going to give me poison or something that's of a, of a lower grade, they wouldn't do that because I was their friends. And I was so blessed that never in my life have I have ever been given something bad. Anyway, back, back to the story. We get to this, the accidents, the scene of the accident, and we find that his brother, who was a runner for his drug cartel in the area, um, had been rammed into by a very drunk South African police officer. The car rammed into his car so hard that the front loader CD player of his golf cabriolet came out of the dashboard. But they had managed to grab the policeman's gun and they told the cops that were on the scene that I was driving his brother's car because his brother doesn't have a driver's license. And at the time I was driving a white Toyota Ranex. So when the cops came to me and asked me, was I driving the, the car that was bumped by the policeman because his brother didn't have a license? I said, no. I said, they're lying. I'm, I live in Flerov, which is very far away from Ennerdale. And the policeman just looked at me and he said to me, it's Sunday night, 11 o'clock. What are you doing in Ennerdale this time? Are you mad? Please just get in your car and go home. You don't look like you are, you are these people's uh, caliber and friends. And a lot of times, I must be honest, when I have been stopped in police roadblocks and stuff, the policeman would come to me and say to me, are you sure these are your friends? Are these you people safe? don't, yes, these people don't look like your type. Get into your car and leave. So, um, and that, and then that brings me a lot back to what my mom used to say to me, you know, these people that you bring home with you or these people that you are with over weekends, where do you meet them? Where do they come from? So that is that fake. Did your mother know you were on drugs? I told my mother from day one. When I had my first hit of cocaine, I came to my mom and told her, it's 250 rand and I can't feel my teeth and I couldn't feel myself breathing. I was so excited and she was, she looked at me like, oh no, what, you know, and I, I think if I think back, that's one of the biggest mistakes I ever made because your mother is not your friend. She's your mother. And how and that did made she it okay react? For me. How did she react? She, she's a, as being a single parent, and I'm the eldest in the, of the two um, in the house. She probably was just in so much shock, and for all the years, she was probably in so much denial of her son that never smoked or never drank alcohol, and yes, he taking cocaine. And when I told her who gave me it for the first time, she was even more angry because that was the person she warned me against for all the years. As a friend, somebody that would always borrow money from me or need a hairdryer for his salon and I would buy it for him. And we'd go out. I would used to go out on Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays during the week while at work and go to work inebriated or tired, not having slept. And she, she would see the change in the, in the lifestyle pattern and get concerned. And, and did, did she help you? Did she try and stop you? Did she? She did. My mom would threaten me with, with getting an intervention or sending me to rehab or get pastors from the church to come and talk to me or throw me out of the house. But I think I managed to uh, how do I, manipulate her, is for the lack of a better word, into not doing so. So I would maybe have a weekend where I wouldn't take. I'd take her out shopping or I would give her some money and then maybe the next weekend stay at home again and then the next weekend go big. So I would, I would spread it out over a period of time, not to show her that I'm blatantly just going to carry on doing what, what, what destroyed and hurt her over the years. I want to talk a little bit about lifestyle, but this song, when it first came out, mm. there were so many rumors and you were talking about sh- uh, sh- shmangled cat. Yes. <laughs> is there's always all this stuff. And this is the other thing that for me makes it like, ooh, drug life mm. is, has this glamour to it. And I think maybe attracts a lot of young people yes. to it. When the song first came out, there were so many, um, 
things about it that it actually is about drugs and it's about so I thought I'm just going to replay it maybe okay. you're going to decode it for me <laughs> if not I'm just going to enjoy it because it is one of my favorites it's Purple Hills by D12 and Eminem okay Cliffcentral.com Beautiful things in the background. You're just telling me how this is with your biggest favorite song that you'd be playing on your way home from the club. Oh, I would, yes. With my window rolled down and pretend that my, my, my car was a convertible and there's wind in my hair, but I got no hair. So it felt, <laughs> it felt amazing, yeah. And for me, that uh, I always I always said to all my friends that no matter what you go through in life, there's always a song. And for me, that song would remind me of... Either coming back from what we were speaking about, those, those yucky moments, and I would get in my car and try and leave that yucky moment and play that song and realize I'm better than this and I'm better than these people. Let me just go home. So I would, that would be my going home song, like on, on the highway or so you're, from the you, club. You're, we don't like to talk about it, about it because we're hoping it changes, but you're a single gay man. Yes. You have no kids. Thank We're hoping God. it changes. Nope. You meet a hot guy sometime <laughs> soon. But for now, you're a single yeah, gay man. <laughs> and no kids. No. Yeah. And earning an income. So you've got lots of money to burn. You've got time and money to burn. Mm-hmm. Did the alternative lifestyle, being a gay man, did that make it easier for you to get into the drugs? It didn't make it easier to get into the drugs. I feel the drugs made it easier for me to be gay. The op- and I, that was the opposite result of what I seen other people would say about Wait, the gay community. Let me understand this. So the drugs made it easier for you to be gay. Nope. Um, it's the opposite for me. Okay. It, it, I think the drugs didn't make it easier for me to be gay. It made, it made being gay not as, not, not so much of an issue that I thought it was for other people and how other people made me feel about being, being gay. I'm the only son. Of my, my my dad has th- two brothers and three sisters, so I'm the the heir to the throne, so to speak, as far as the family name is concerned. So all eyes on me for having a family and having kids, so that the, the family name could continue. My dad's brothers have two daughters, and the other brother doesn't have any kids. So from my dad's side of the family, that was the pressure I felt. It wasn't necessarily said to me or spoken. And from my mom's side of the family, being born again Christians, I mean, I've been in Rama Church my whole life. It was something that I as a as a as a gay person always had a problem with i had a, i was i call myself the only homophobic homosexual that i knew <laughs> so having had drugs as a as a new problem i could sort of like leave that on the shelf for for a while and let people get used to that so long because guess what not only am i gay but how are you doing i'm club, clubbing and drugging weekends so that I, i'm a very in your face type of person i've always been that way and for me, throwing that in their faces was a way of distracting them from, from, from nagging on, are you really gay? My mom till today, I think, feels I'm going through a phase, but I think now she's so come, she's so happy. Eh? I know. She's so happy with me being off 
the, the, the club scene and the drugs that I'm at home with her every weekend. We're going on a cruise end of the year together, the two of us. I'm spending a lot of time with her as I can. Not so that you I'll know be able to make up. Meet that dream man in your no, house. no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not actually looking for that person right now. <laughs> Um, I feel I've had enough of that. I've had enough of guys. I've had enough of clubs and free. I've got a dog. I've got, actually, I've got two. I've got a pit bull puppy. I've got a Doberman pincher. I've got a parrot. I've got goldfish and koi fish. I haven't got space or time in my life now for if somebody else wants pizza, if they want KFC or whatever. I've got so much going on. I've got very good friends. I'll mention her name, Nicole Tim. In my life, she's been my friend for over 30 years. She keeps me busy every weekend. I see her and her kids. You can out her. You can out her. No, don't out her. So I've got good friends that keep me busy. You were also telling me about the control. So the the one part of it was it it allowed you to have a different problem from the problem from what you perceive to be a problem in your family of being gay. Mm. It's almost like I wanted to show them you think being gay is a problem. Let me show you something else. It's a real type problem. Of thing. But I didn't I didn't plan it because as I said to you when we just started speaking, I just wanted to feel or, or know what are these guys doing going to the toilet back and forth while I'm getting drunk and I'm falling on the floor and I have to go home because two glasses of Robertson's rosé and I'm gone. So yeah. You, you, you were telling me also, so now it's, when you had the money, it was great. Yeah. When you were working, even now you're working, so you, you can, you can afford be an it, occasional yeah. drug user. Yeah. But there was a time when you weren't working. Yes. When I came back from, from working in Nigeria, um, I blew, what is 45,000 rand times three? I had that much in my account and I think I blew it in a matter of six months. Buying clothes and DVDs and CDs and drugs and stuff for people that I just met or that I didn't know. And I went through a slump with two and a half years trying to find a job because if you work an hour a day in and, and earn four and a half thousand US dollars a month, coming back to South Africa trying to find a job where you have to work six or seven hours a day to earn 15,000 rand a month, it's a bit hard as it's a knock on you uh, emotionally, psychologically. It makes you really feel like you're worthless. Why did you leave? You know, why didn't you continue? And so all of that, and then, but nevertheless, funny enough for me, I had I had the opportunity of still earning money because when I left um, to work in Nigeria, a friend of mine had opened a salon in Florida, a hairdressing salon. So I could I could casually over weekends and make uh, some money and still do hair, you know, privately at people's places. So I could still keep the house, the electricity on, and the groceries flowing, and every second or third weekend or so have with my friends and etc. But that, that is what the lowest point for me because I always used to take it when I was happy. And that time when I was unemployed coming back from Nigeria, I found I was not as happy or in a happy place like I was before. So I was taking the drug to make me happy. So I was de- becoming dependent on the chemical. And I had to quickly stop myself and reflect and ask and, 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 and I'm so grateful that I had the willpower and the mindset and the, and the, and the, when I say tools, I'm talking about the person that I mentioned earlier on, friends like Nicole, people in my life who who were there for me in more ways than just being my friends. They were there to talk to. They would fetch me to go shopping with them. I would spend a day at their house swimming with their kids, playing with their children. There's many other people's names I could mention, but you know, it, 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 it's irrelevant. But what I, what I wanted to, what I wanted to bring across is, is that when you, when I felt at my lowest point, I had people around me and my mother's love that never stopped from the day I told her I take cocaine till now, this very minute. She knows that I'm on air now and she told me to say a prayer before I came into the studio, which I must admit I forgot. But I know my mom 
surprise for me and it is, it's what kept me going. My friends and my family, my, when I told my family I was gay, it almost pulled the family closer. Everybody became familiar with my boyfriend at the time. They wanted to know who he is. I mean, I dated a guy for six years until now they, he's friends of the family. So I, I, I was very fortunate and blessed to be in a community and in a, in a surrounding of, of love and support all the time. Even my dad, when I told my dad that I was gay and that, and that he knew that I'm taking drugs, he never seen a problem for it because my mom and dad never had to fetch me in a police station, never had to bail me out of, of jail. That's why I say when I don't want it, I throw it away. If I see a police car behind me and there's blue lights, so I'm approaching a roadblock, I chuck it away <laughs> because my rule is, yes, if you cannot afford to buy another one, then it means the drug is taking you and you're not taking the drug. It's in charge of your life. I wouldn't, I would hate my mom or my dad or anybody to come and fetch me at a police station because of a 200 grand gram of crystal meth or cocaine or cat. It just doesn't. So uh, what's your drug of choice? At the moment, I'm, I've been taking crystal meth now for the past five or more years for the simple, and the, for the simple reason I used to buy like three, four, five grams of cat if I go clubbing with my friends. And I was always the person supplying and providing. No one would want to. Contribute money or buy their own So I got sick and tired of it And a friend of another house That I found myself at one night after uh, After jawling around with friends These boys offered me crystal meth They called it glass at the time And I thought okay let me try it and see what it's like Um, Crystal meth has a It has a it, it, It immediately takes you to the place Where cat will take a while to take you and that is what I enjoyed of it. There was no wasting time. It wasn't a little powder that got damp and you had to warm the plate and keep it in a safe place. Crystal meth is like a, it's like pieces of glass. It's like hard pieces of crystals that you crush into a powder and snort. I think the cape, the people in the cape, they smoke it in that little glass pipe and the, the noise that it makes in that little, that little globe, they call it tuck. It's a similar chemical, but it doesn't have, you see, cat had components of horse tranquilizer, paint thinners, and things like that, which, which just didn't appeal to me when I found out what was in there. Is that a real thing? Yep. I thought that was like an urban myth. Methacatonine, if you, if you check on the internet, you'll see the, the ingredients and the, and the process that it takes to, in, in producing and, and making these chemicals is actually quite dangerous and, and it's, it's actually quite, it's yucky if you think what you, cocaine is a natural product. It comes from the cocoa plant. Similar does marijuana and dacha. So in that way, your body can metabolize it because it's a natural product. It's, a, it's something that grows in the earth. Whereas these chemicals that people are taking now, crystal meth and cat, um, it, it sits on your spinal cord. It, it, your body, your kidneys and your liver doesn't know how to secrete and, or, or, or to get rid of this foreign body. And it sits onto your spinal cord and eventually it releases slowly into your nervous system. So it will always be in your, in your body. So we come from, you and I, come from a, a communities that are ravaged by drugs yeah. and drug abuse now and yes. lots of, and like you were saying, when you're not happy, lots mm. of young people that are unemployed, oh, yeah. lots of like, Terrible situations where a lot of people are on drugs mm. to escape. Yeah. What would you say to young people that find themselves in that same place that you were in, that low, low point yeah. to pull out of it? I actually have a, a, a friend now that I'm busy counseling via SMS or WhatsApp when he has his phone from time to time who really feels that his world has come to an end. He's got, he's a father of a child. He had a very good job at one of the big banks when I met him. He was, he's a very physical person. He coaches sports in the community and he's just in a very bad place at this point in time. And he keeps asking me for help or to borrow him 200 rand until he gets his UIF. He's got a pending court case for some girl that he pushed out of the house because she was hitting him with her bag. Long stories. You know, he's just feeling sorry 
sorry for himself. And what I said to him the other day, I told him he needs to work on himself first. You, I would like him to be the person that he was when I met him. Because I also met him in that environment. Coming home from, from the club one night and going to a friend's place. He is actually a friend of a friend. I'm not very close with him. But I keep in touch with people like that. Because I would like them to see that I'm able to pick myself out from the gutter, so to speak, when I didn't have a job. Get myself working. And for the first year and a half, I really didn't... I think last year was the cleanest year ever in my entire life. I think I had three times because I was so busy working on... the past on 15 years, not in, your entire in, life. In, in my, yeah, well, in 15th year. <laughs> Thanks for, me, for that correction. You know, because if you don't... For me, you need to be there for yourself first before you can be there for anybody else. And before he can... For me, it's more important that he's, a, he's got a child to take care of. He's a father. And that, that's what hurts me is that these, these, these unemployed youth or these guys that are at home, they can't find jobs, they turn to drugs. It's just so sad because how do you pay for something if you're not working? Mm. So I just want to say yeah. one thing while we're on Unradio. I'm Pumi Mashekho. You're listening to Womanda. I'm talking to Gordon John about the life inside the drugs because I think we, we, we don't often get a chance to have a conversation inside the mind of a person that's chosen a life. Of drugs, and so we're here on Unradio, and we are keeping it real on CliffCentral.com. Duncan wants me to play more stings, <laughs> but uh, but we are keeping it real. I think we're having a, a devastatingly real conversation. Brad, my favorite, who SMSs me all the time, thank you, Brad, for your question. Wants to know about your sinuses and oh. physical health. Um, after snorting cocaine, especially because you were talking about the difference between cocaine and the and the the chemically created yeah. drugs. For me, cocaine caused the most damage to my sinuses. I would find my nose is running, and I'm sniffing a few days after that, especially if it was bad quality or very strong, pure of uh, 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 product that I would be using for a few days. Um, I'm a person that snuffers from post nasal drip. I've always had those. Serotide, those inhalers that cost about four, five hundred rand, the green nasonex sprays and, the, you know, just to, 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 to keep me from getting a cold because as you know, with post nasal drip, you get a cough or you get a cold or bronchitis. I must say, since I've been snorting the crystal meth, it dried up my sinuses and I don't suffer as much. When I start getting sick, I've, it's my, it's a sign for me that I've been clean for like six or three months. It's actually something for me to celebrate because <laughs> now I have to go and get, Sign you cons, so I need to go to the doctor. And I'm so blessed now that, that, that I, I'm employed, I have medical aid, I can go to a doctor, I can get actually made. My, my GP said to me the other day, I'm, I'm so happy to see that you, you picked up some weight, you're looking normal, you're looking great. Because I told my GP as well, because he would wonder why we keep coming for sign you cons or something to stop the nose from running or why am I out of work on a Monday and I need a doctor's note. I, I'm honest. You know, the thing is, you need to be honest with yourself. For as long as you you lie to yourself and tell you that this drugs is good and you're enjoying it and you're invincible and and like they showed on the Whitney movie on on I think it was on BET on 135 on DSTV. That invincibility this is that not an ad break. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> do you know that in, invincibility that they showed Whitney had when she had that first line before she performed "I'm Every Woman" on stage? That that, that is, it, it's such a you get so you're lying to yourself and you keep telling yourself that that you that you that you superwoman or superman that yeah you get trapped in it. There's people that I work with at the moment that are doing the same thing. It's, it's so sad to see people still coming to work and taking it during the week because you you, you it's your job. You you you're actually working with people and you you're dealing with people. I I work at one of the four big banks. So I won't mention it for 
for, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But there's people who, who, who you're dealing, you're dealing with people's finances and stuff and you, you're not yourself. So how do you, you know, it's just actually so scary if you think about where else this is happening. You know, are people, are, are, are medical practitioners, are they also taking, you know, they're under the influence when you go for a checkup and they're misdiagnosing you? Uh, you know, are politicians doing it? You know, it, 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 it doesn't end in any specific place. You say that it, it's difficult for a person who's never had drugs to tell somebody to stop or to tell somebody to get out of it. I think it's unfair more than it's difficult. It's unfair. Yes. Why? It's unfair because it's almost like, it's almost like you're talking into something that you know nothing of. I, I, I have this argument with, with a certain family member of mine. My mom's sister's brother would always tell me because he, he feels when he's drinking with his buddies and there's an odd guy in the group that's taking, he knows what that guy's going through. And I told him he doesn't. I told him, let me phone my dealer now and get him to actually, you know what? You phone a dealer, wait for him in the side of the road in your car. Hope that the cops don't find you or bump into you and you buy a gram and you take it and enjoy it and then suffer the consequences of the, of the, the withdrawal symptoms before you speak into, into somebody else's life that takes. And that's, and that's the, that's the crust of the matter. People have never done all of that before, but they want to tell you to stop. But we've grown up in a world, I mean, drugs are illegal. Yes. Um, so you, there's always a constant fear of cops, Correct. harassment, all of that. Yeah. But we've also grown up in a world that's consistently telling us how bad for you drugs are. That's consistently telling yeah. us this is a terrible thing, but we also see it, you know, yes. so you see your cousin or whoever who's been ravaged yeah. by drugs. So the love that we have makes us want to shake you out of it. Are you saying that don't try and shake the person out of it? Uh, I'm not saying don't try, but try with with knowing what you're talking about. Because there's nothing that's more, for me, insulting and irritating than having a family member or a pastor from the church or someone in the community coming and talking to me about what they think or what they've heard my mom is telling them I'm doing without having first-hand experience. And that is the reason why I am so vocal. And, I mean, you, you've mentioned earlier on, when we have our high school get-togethers, I've got friends now who either have brothers or children or nephews or cousins who are so uh, trapped in, in into what I was almost trapped into or what was uh, was seemed to be a trap for me, that I speak about it so that they can hear a, the, the, the other side of the story and what it does for me, what it does for you if, if you're using it. Because people don't understand the point. I mean, and most of the people that, that challenge me on these things are people who smoke or drink. So I use the opt, I use that as an example to them. I tell them, but you're sitting with an M still in your hand or you have a cigarette in your hand. Do you think it's the same thing? Do you think alcohol, I think it's, I think alcohol and cigarettes. Drugs. Um, it's, 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 I would like everybody to look at their finger and see their unique fingerprint on their hand. As much as drugs can, uh, cocaine can control me. If I give it to you, Pumino, it can control you, but in a different way. It could maybe give you a confidence boost when you come on air, or it could maybe give you that attitude when you need to go to a business meeting. So everybody, depending on their different lifestyles and their needs at the time, drugs can help or destroy them equally. So that is, that is where, uh, I feel everybody's is experience with the stuff is in, is individual. Um, I've 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 got first-hand experience on that because I try to be um, um, the TB Joshua of drugs in my community, going around <laughs> and telling people to stop and you know talking <laughs> to them Joshua. exactly. Well, I don't have a building Do that's going to crash, the, but yeah. Do you have the blame? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. <laughs> but um, the thing is, you know, people. Be, 
everybody's like I said, everybody's experience is different. So as much as I've got all these years behind me, I can speak to somebody that's maybe two, three years into it and I will get the same attitude from that person that I would have given somebody who tried to stop me. So everybody's got their own reason and their own what what it does for them. And it's actually so sad. I've actually involved myself in a drug rehabilitation organization for the past year now where there's these group of girls that are HIV, some of them are HIV positive, some of them are crystal meth addicts who just had new babies. And I pour myself into these girls when we go, they, they're teaching these girls how to sew clothes and how to make their, their own fashion line. And I do hair and makeup for them. And we've done a fashion show at Tabaya Botswana last year in December. I actually made a point of having that day when I went and showing them that I have and I'm using, but I'm able to function because a lot of people believe and they, they take this drug as it, it, it takes over their world and they could stop going to work. They don't get up and they don't wash. They don't face society. They stay in their rooms. It's it, for me, it, that was not the experience for me. And I want to show them that they mustn't crucify themselves because of it. My experience might be different to theirs, but they mustn't let it get, let them, let it be the end of them. Sure. Yeah. If you could go back, so we've got very little time left, but okay. if you could go back, knowing what you know today, mm. if you could go back to that moment with that line mm. on that glass table. I wouldn't take it. I actually wish it didn't happen because I'd rather live ignorantly. I'd rather have been a drug ignorant person than have had all this experience and wasted my life in all this money because I'm just helping people who actually don't, most of them don't want the help that you offer them. So you cho- you would choose differently. Yeah, and like I want to end the show in telling people that it's a choice that they make. It's very important to choose the correct thing. Thank you for coming to chat. Thank you for coming to chat. But before before we go, I want to play this little thing. So a couple of years ago, choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family. Choose a fucking big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays and electrical tin openers. <laughs> Choose good health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing fucking junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all, pissing your last in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish, fucked up brats that you've spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? All those many years ago, one of my favorite movies of all time, Train Spotting, and that is the opening sequence. And I remember seeing this with, with that choose life, choose differently, choose friends, tr- choose the boring game shows. Um, so I'm glad that you talk about the fact that you made a different choice. Thank you for coming to share your experience with us. And remember, if you're listening to Amanda today and you're going through something similar or you know somebody, maybe you choose differently. I think the most powerful thing I got out of today's show is that it's difficult to make the choice for somebody else. And when they're going through it, like your mom, hey, just show love. Yes, and support your family and friends that's going through it.
Thank you very much, my darling, for coming to chat with Thank us. You, you are listening to Womanda. It's Wednesday and the time is exactly two minutes to one o'clock. I'm looking out the window. I see Dr. Cindy and her guests. They're busy taking pictures. So health hour is coming up next. The doctor is here. Doctor is in the building. I will see you again next week. Cliffcentral.com.